Hi everyone, Carrie here. Just wanted to share with you that you can now listen to Jury Duty ad-free by becoming a patron to our Patreon. In addition to these ad-free episodes, you'll get exclusive access to the full Crime Story podcast catalog, including our interviews with groundbreaking crime storytellers like the creators of The Wire, Breaking Bad, and The Sopranos, and all of our reporting by Amanda Knox. Just search for Jury Duty via the Patreon website or the Patreon app. Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we began our look at defense attorney Mark Richards' cross-examination of Richie McGinnis. On today's episode, we continue that look, and we also cover the redirect examination of McGinnis by prosecutor Thomas Binger. That's all coming up right after the break. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. In our last episode, we presented much of the first portion of Mark Richards' cross-examination of Daily Caller video director Richie McGinnis. We called Richards' cross a case study in clarity of intention. Today, we conclude that presentation, and we also present most of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's redirect examination of the witness, offering you the opportunity to compare and contrast their styles and to ponder how their respective lines of questioning may offer insight into the strength of their respective narratives and theories of the case. We begin with Richard's questions, which implicitly contrast the Kenosha police detective's treatment of McGinnis's privacy rights as compared with the treatment of Gage Grosskreutz. You go to that interview and they're very interested in your phone, correct? Correct. You are told that they're either going to take your phone and get a search warrant or you'll give consent, correct? Correct. And you don't want to give up everything in your phone because it's your job and your livelihood. Is that a fair statement? I didn't want to lose possession of my phone because it is my livelihood, yes. Okay. Did they tell you they weren't going to go into your phone because of Marcy's law? I don't recall that. If somebody said that, you'd remember that, correct? Yeah, what they said was, um, can we take your phone to download uh, the videos? And I, I gave it to them. I don't um, recall anything about Marcy's law. They told you you didn't give them consent, they were going to get a search warrant, correct? That That is correct, yes. And you were not written a curfew ticket, correct? Um, that's correct. I was not written one. Next, Richard seeks to have McGinnis offer context for his testimony about the intimidating presence of firearms in Kenosha in late August of 2020. Now, you also testified about how at this riot, demonstration, whatever you want to call it, there were more firearms than you had seen at other 
places, correct? Um, yes. Well, I, I would say the most firearms is probably Seattle, but yes. Okay. Portland, you can't open carry or you'll be arrested, correct? I believe so. New York, you can't open carry or you'll be arrested. That's for sure. For sure. Washington, D.C., can't open carry or you'll be arrested. Correct. Wisconsin, you can open carry. Correct. I, you know so that makes yeah, yes. that makes for a prevalence of guns. Yes. And the, I believe the same in, in Seattle as well. And the second night of the riots, you came to Kenosha and you saw the car source lot with all the cars. Not the one where the shooting happened, but the one right below your hotel burned. Yeah, it was burning every night. Okay. But that was the night where most all of the cars went out. Are you referring to Monday night? Yes. Yes. The okay. night before the shooting, you're saying? Yes. Yes. I'm sorry to make myself clear. Monday night, the first car source lot with maybe 30, 40 cars goes up. Yes. Okay. And the fire department didn't come. Uh, that was when we inter we interviewed the individuals with the power washer and the um, buckets of water. Uh, I didn't see... I mean, I saw... Um, the fire department responding to a different fire uh, at a, a furniture store, um, but not in front of that lot. Okay. And that's the night where some cars got put on fire at Car Source 2, and they were trying to put it out with a power washer and I think buckets? Like literally uh, buckets and trash cans. Okay. Water. And that was citizens, not the fire department. That's correct. You had no fear or problem from Kyle or Mr. Balch when you went out on that patrol with him? I would say that I was certainly fearful just in a general sense, given that there were weapons and that it was a chaotic environment. Were you fearful of Mr. Balch and Mr. Rittenhouse? At the time that I was walking with them? Yes. Uh, I was fearful of the potentiality that those weapons would be used. Um, so I would say like I was elevated in terms of my... Um, assessment of the risk involved in the situation. Um, but I wouldn't say that I was specifically fearful of them uh, individually. I was okay. fearful of what might happen. You're fearful of the situation in Kenosha on August 25th, 2020, all the armed people, the rioting, the chaos, and the social unrest. And the guns, yeah. And the guns. Yeah. And both sides had guns. I actually didn't see, uh, I know after seeing video, I, I, I do see that now, but the only uh, armed individuals that I saw that night were in front of the, the business. Thank you. I have nothing further. On redirect, Prosecutor Thomas Binger seeks to poke holes in the defense narrative that there were individuals besides Joseph Rosenbaum who were chasing Kyle Rittenhouse and who were conspiring with Rosenbaum to get Rittenhouse's gun. Mr. McGinnis, I have an exhibit up on the screen. We've shown this to you before. Is it fair to say that at the moment this video is paused at, as we see on that screen, um, you are not yet on the screen? Is that fair to say? I think, yeah, I think, I think that sounds right. I think I was just uh, off the screen to the right, off the street. And you've talked about your perception of Person of interest number two, which is the one with the square around them, that is the defendant, and what you believe was going on when he arrived at the car source lot. And you've talked about one or more individuals that are after him, he's having to evade them, things like that. Um, there's been some testimony about that, correct? Correct. You've already acknowledged that you were further back, it was dark, it was hard for you to see exactly. 
Is that fair to say? It's fair, yes. Okay. What I'd like to do now, Mr. McGinnis, is I'm going to have this video played, and I would like you to pay attention to that area. And we have person of interest number one identified, that is Joseph Rosenbaum. Other than him, I would like it if you would point out for us the other individual or individuals that you saw chasing the defendant or, or trying to corner him or, or somehow running after him or, or however you want to describe it. The other individuals that were involved that you believe you saw. Is that, do you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, I, I would say, um, I wouldn't say chasing. I would say it was like they were directing their attention in his direction and, and moving towards him. Okay. Um, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like a dead sprint chase or anything like that. I'm going to ask you, Mr. McGinnis, if you could please try and keep an eye on that for us and let us know if you see any of those folks, maybe you can point them out for us. I'm, I'm interested in physical movements towards the defendant. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, let's go ahead and play it. When I told that to police, it was um, basically you can see me running up. They're just to my left in the center of the street, there are some individuals who were yelling. And I guess it's not clear to me, you know, whether they were just advancing in that direction and yelling or advancing specifically towards Mr. Rittenhouse. But the individuals that I was referring to when I said that were in the bottom right portion of the screen as I was running up. I basically ran past them. It's clear from the video that Mr. Rosenbaum is specifically coming after Mr. Rittenhouse, chasing after him. It seemed to be that you were indicating you saw other people that were directly going after the defendant. Did you see anything like that? Other than Mr. Rosenbaum? It seemed to me that they were turning their attention towards him and that uh, they were shouting at him. Um, I wouldn't say that they were like, like I said, it wasn't like a chase. It was like a turning and kind of directing their attention. And, and it wasn't, you know, a, a running at him, more of like turning their bodies towards him. And um, like those individuals in the, in the bottom right of the screen um, seemed to be gravitating towards where he was. But they were already headed in that direction anyway. Yeah, that's that's unclear to me. Like I said, I, I ran up and it was dark and I was on the phone. So I just heard the yelling and I saw attention. My eyes went to Mr. Rittenhouse because of where other people were looking. Would you agree with me that in the video we're watching, this infrared video, this aerial footage, there aren't any other figures that are moving towards the defendant at any point other than Mr. Rosenbaum? They're moving in the direction of the defendant, but like I said, it's not clear whether they were already moving in that direction prior to my arrival. It was their, their attention and their uh, screaming was directed in his direction, so I, uh, that's where my eyes went. The defendant actually, and, and you, both run up behind these people. Uh, you, you approach them from behind as they're walking forward. Correct. To your knowledge, uh, did any of those folks look back at you as you were approaching from behind? Um, to, to me specifically, yeah. Um, not that I can recall. No. You indicated that the defendant, when he was running away from Mr. Rosenbaum, I think the words you used was he entered a bit of a dead end as he was running uh, by those cars and the building. Um, do you remember saying that? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, now on the video here, the person of interest number two with the square around him is the defendant and uh, person of interest number one with the circle around him is Mr. Rosenbaum. I just want to be really clear on this, Mr. McGinnis, other than Mr. Rosenbaum, did you see anyone else chasing the defendant? 
Um, the word chase, uh, I wouldn't use that word to describe anybody else's actions. Uh, Did you see anyone pursuing him physically in any way other than Mr. Rosenthal? Um, like I said, the, it's not clear to me whether those other individuals were, you know, already heading in that direction. Um, as for, like, once Mr. Rittenhouse started to uh, run, I didn't see anybody else uh, running after him. So Mr. Rosenbaum is running after the defendant. Other than that, no one else is coordinating with Mr. Rosenbaum or helping to, to corral the defendant or, you know, pen him in or anything along those lines that you saw. Would you agree with me on that? Beyond the, um, the screaming and the yelling and, um, you know, maybe walking in his direction, uh, no. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Prosecutor Binger next seeks to counter the defense narrative that Rosenbaum had boxed Rittenhouse in and that his intention was to take the gun from Rittenhouse. This video indicates the person of interest number two, the defendant, uh, running into the center of those four parked cars two, uh, towards the top, two towards the bottom, and that's where the shooting occurs? Correct. Okay. It appears to me on this video that if you run through those, there's a huge amount of open space on the left bottom of that parking lot, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. I'm, I mean, like I said earlier, that's why I said a bit of a dead end, because if somebody wanted to pass through that area, it wasn't like the cars were snugged up next to each other and you'd have to like jump over them to get out. Like they were, you know, parked closely, but there was enough space to pass through if you wanted to. The area where this all occurs, would you agree with me is a very well lit area? Yes. There are three large lights up on top of the car source building that are blasting that parking lot with light. Would you agree with me on it's that? Certainly a well lit, yes, it was a lit parking lot. Um, like I said, the, the street just off there, it was very dark, but that area, um, there, yeah, there were large overhead lights. You have described your impressions of what Mr. Rosenbaum was meaning to do or intending to do in his final physical acts towards the defendant. Would you agree with me that, that you've given us your, your impressions of that? Yes. At any point, did you hear Mr. Rosenbaum say anything about the defendant's gun? I did not know. He never said, I want your gun, I'm gonna take your gun, give me your gun, I'm gonna steal your gun, anything along those lines. I didn't hear anything like that, no. And you've already established that after the shooting, Mr. Rosenbaum never says a word, correct? Correct. You don't know, as you sit here today, what Mr. Rosenbaum was thinking, do you? You mean at the time of the shooting? Yes. Or at any point in his life. I mean, you have no idea what Mr. Rosenbaum was ever thinking at any point in his life. You have never been inside his head. You never met him before. You don't know. I've, I've never even, I've never exchanged words with him, if that's what your question is. So your 
interpretation of what he was trying to do or what he was intending to do or anything along those lines is complete guesswork, isn't it? Um, well, he said, fuck you, and then he reached for the weapon. Let's talk about that. At that very moment, you've testified, the defendant has turned around facing Mr. Rosenbaum, correct? Correct. The defendant has the gun in his hand. Correct. Mr. Rosenbaum is advancing and is pretty close. Yes. Correct? You believe, you've testified, that Mr. Rosenbaum is reaching for the barrel of the defendant's gun. Is that right? Yes. There are many possible reasons why an individual in that position would be reaching for a gun that's pointed in their direction. Would you agree with me on that? The weapon was, it was a, at a 45 degree angle, approximately. I don't know what you're asking. If you're asking if there's a reason why he would grab it. You've already given us what you think is the reason. I'm suggesting there are other. What, I never, when, when did I say that I gave a reason? I just said that what he was trying to do. I didn't okay. give any reason on why he, I have no clue. I, I will say that uh, as many times as you want me to, but I have no clue why he was doing what he did, but I saw him go for the front portion of the weapon and it was um, clear to me that he was, that's what he was trying to do. When you say the front portion, you're, you're talking about the fire, the, the end of the barrel where the bullet comes out. It wasn't like he was grabbing for the very, very tip of the gun. It was like he was grabbing for the front portion of it. So like his hand where he missed was like, you know, I guess six inches up the weapon. Still on the barrel. Yeah, sure. You indicated that Mr. Rosenbaum, I think you used the terms, he was in a low position running. Do you remember saying something to that effect? Yes. You have any idea how tall Mr. Rosenbaum was? He's not very tall. Shorter than the defendant? Correct. Shorter than you? Correct. And you said that when Mr. Rosenbaum was reaching for the defendant's gun, the defendant, you, you've given us a physical gesture. I'm going to ask you if I'm doing it correctly. It, it's like he's got the gun in his hands. Uh, the barrel is pointed to the defendant's left. He sort of moves it around almost up and over the outstretched hands of Mr. Rosenbaum. Would that be fair to say? It was aimed at a 45 degree angle towards the ground. I wouldn't say it was aimed to the left. It was aimed kind of, um, you know, if you were to draw a line, it was aimed towards Mr. Rosenbaum, but at the ground. And then it was when he lunged that the weapon went to his left. When Mr. Rosenbaum lunged, Mr. Rittenhouse moved the gun. Moved the gun to Mr. Rittenhouse's left okay. and to my right. And by doing so, uh, I know you've testified you're not sure whether or not Mr. Rosenbaum actually touched the gun. Fair enough? Correct, yes. But at any rate, by doing so, Mr. Rittenhouse was finally able to get that gun in a position where there wasn't any more risk of Mr. Rosenbaum grabbing it by doing that little maneuver. Correct? So at the point at which he dodged around, they were extremely close. And so it's not clear to me what would have happened if those shots hadn't have been fired. Curiously, Binger never asks if Rittenhouse ever tried to use his rifle in a less than lethal manner against Rosenbaum by striking him with it after evading Rosenbaum's reach for the weapon. Instead, Binger wraps up his redirect as follows. Final question. You talked at the end of your testimony about your feelings as you were accompanying the defendant and Ryan Balch. And you talked about still feeling a sense of 
of your safety being in jeopardy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me your primary concern was the guns. That's what the thing that was making you feel the most unsafe that night was the presence of these guns. Would that be accurate? Um, well, prior in the evening uh, and, and in the night prior, there were like some people who tried to take my phone from me. And then there were the other individuals with the bricks. So I would say that, you know, it's a baseline level of fear associated with all of those things. But the presence of the weapon certainly elevated my understanding of the risk of the situation. Thank you. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. We will, of course, discuss the interrogation strategies of both Prosecutor Binger and Defense Attorney Richards during our weekly recap. And join us on our next episode as we begin our look at the testimony of Ryan Balch, one of the armed individuals who spent time with Kyle Rittenhouse on the night of August 25th, 2020. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.